Did you all hear the, uh, if you watched the Apple keynote yesterday, did you hear the pronoun they used to refer to Siri? No. It was it. They said oh. it. They did not say he or she. That's very interesting. That makes, it's a good thing. Yeah. I have this whole theory about um, like personal assist, AI, personal assistants, where I think I like to change the voices to more male voices because I think we as a society should get more accustomed to like ordering around a male voiced thing and telling it what to do like we're very comfortable telling something with a feminine energy what to do and bossing it around and we're not as comfortable bossing like a male energy around um, mine is a british male because i like a british butler yeah. so if i could have a, if i could have one of those i would welcome to feeling it a podcast where we discuss tv movies pop culture and whether or not we are feeling it if this is your first time joining us welcome to the show and here Come on, talk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of this podcast that we like to do. Um... In addition to talking about what we're feeling this week, we are going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, an anthology movie in the realm of the Star Wars universe that nobody asked for, but everybody seemed to kind of possibly want based on the box office. Before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves. And when you do, answer the question, if you were in Star Wars, what would your Star Wars cape look like? I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and Lucas, I think this is a fabulous question. I did some research and I found a very specific cape. Um, so Ooh. usually in Star Wars, like the capes could almost be cloaks. They're very heavy. Mm. They're mm -hmm. very like, you know, they have a lot of a weight, a weight to them. Very dramatic. I went a little bit of a different direction and I found something very light and sheer. Um, if you... Very Lando. <laughs> yeah. If you look up, if, if, if anyone wants to Google Alex Perry... Langley cape. Um, it shows a very kind of like peachy blush colored um, sheer cape that's long and feminine, but also still kind of architectural and like very space oh, to me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would, that's what I would wear. Um, something a little bit more regal and mm -hmm. less action. Yeah, that's star. a. Yeah, that's definitely like a palace cape for right. sure. Right. Yeah. Yo, let's, let, I'll stay at the palace. Very. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sanders is a palace that. Star Wars person. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, well, I'm Lucas Wright. I'm a designer in Ch in Chicago. Um, I would definitely have a black velvet cape with possibly some some maybe some royal purple on the inside, Ooh. some liner. Um, definitely, definitely filling that velvet. Lucas has been sitting on that answer for decades. <laughs> decades. I've been waiting for someone to ask the question, so I asked it myself. Let me show you the drawings in crayon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've heard the third voice here. We have someone back who hasn't been on this podcast for... Years. years. Yeah, years at this point. The wow. prodigal son returns. It is. A founding member of Feeling It Podcast, Brett Bailey. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. And what would your Star Wars cape look like? <laughs> and, and who are you? Great introduce question. yourself. Yeah, and, and who are you? Yourself, yeah. Star <laughs> yes. Uh, my name is Brent. I live in Chicago. I've lived here for a few years. I am mostly here by virtue of having very interesting friends. Um, my Star Wars cape would resemble um, the house robe, um, earth tones, patchwork um, worn by Bilbo Baggins in the mostly forgettable uh, The Hobbit. Uh, there and back again. Mm. Uh, it would be the same color scheme. Uh, ideally, it would maybe even have some armholes, snuggy style for when I got home <laughs> and needed to wrap up. And essentially, it would just be a bathrobe um, <laughs> that I would wear around my neck. That's perfect. That's perfect. And The Hobbit will actually come up again in this episode. I will definitely be talking about that in relation to Star Wars. But little, all little right, spoiler for little, little, little spoiler. thirty minutes from now. Not <laughs> There's the crossover we've been waiting for. <laughs> That's, that is it, for sure. <laughs> um, well, every week we like to talk about something that we've either discovered or rediscovered throughout the week, whether that be a movie, a song, a TV show. Um, so, Brent, will you kick us off and tell us what exactly are you feeling this week? 
Yeah, so this week I am uh, feeling the new film from Paul Schrader. It's called First Reformed. Uh, have either of you seen this? Yes. It is not in Nashville yet, but I'm excited to. I'm sure it will be soon. Um, it was unclear. Uh, Lucas and I saw it at the Chicago Film Critics Association Festival. Is that what it's called? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, we saw it at a festival, um, and it was unclear at the time how big it was going to go, but it seems like it's critics love it. Um, audiences are really resonating with it, so it's uh, gradually expanding. Um, yeah, so this is a film that stars Ethan Hawke, who is one of those actors that I'll just see pretty much any movie he does, and I have yet to be disappointed by him. Um, he plays a priest in a small town. Um, the church is um, barely surviving. It's a very tiny church, um, but it's been part of the city for um, literally centuries, so they're getting ready for their big 250th anniversary, uh, which is mostly being sponsored and hosted by a mega church in the area that's much more successful. Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the main um, structure for the plot. Uh, but really what the film is about is about this young priest who meets an environmental activist um, who's very passionate, and their relationship becomes really significant and formative for um, Ethan Hawke's character. So uh, it's a really painful, difficult movie to watch, honestly. Um, it is, it's fairly slow. Um, there's a lot of really interesting character beats. There's even some humor. Um, there's moments of really intense graphic violence, but it's the kind of movie that just presents a few really unpleasant ideas or feelings uh, and just kind of asks you to sit with them for a long time. So more than any film I've watched in a while, um, it is about despair and about the, the ways despair can affect a person and can affect a community and the sort of um, things it can drive somebody to. Uh, when we saw the film, Paul Schrader was there and did an interview afterwards, um, and he talked about how um, this film is really interested in themes of the environment and global climate change um, and sort of human complicity in that. Uh, but he said he's less interested in those questions than he is in those themes being sort of a symptom of despair, mm -hmm. um, especially for this character. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's the kind of movie that as I was watching, um, I was not really enthusiastic about it. I had a really mixed feelings walking out of the theater. Um, I think there are certain parts of the film that don't work nearly as well. Um, and a couple of performances that aren't really firing. But the ideas and some of the Im imagery of this movie just will not get out of my head. Um, and I think more and more we're seeing um, films that are sort of dealing with the, um, the sort of existential dread and horror of climate change and the possibility that we have had a significant impact on the globe and on what's happening, um, maybe in ways that are irreversible. And so to see a film that deals specifically with that emotional experience um, and puts it in the language of um, faith and sort of a bigger cosmic perspective was um, really gripping to me. So yeah, that's First Reformed. It's gradually expanding. Um, if it does not make it to a theater near you. Um, it will obviously be streamable and purchasable eventually, and I highly recommend it. I can't wait to see it. I'm just counting down the days till it comes to Nashville. Yep. Um, it's also the first movie this year to give me a panic attack in the theater. I'm sure it will not be the last one. <laughs> oh, man. I will say, yes, it is a very overwhelming film. Like, watching it, you feel you feel exactly what the artist wants you to feel. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, it, yeah, it's Brent's completely correct like it's one that like just sticks with you and that you end up just thinking about for a long time afterwards mm. which is really compelling so i mean that's my criteria for making it into my top 10 is something is yeah. a movie that i just can't get out of my head yep definitely mm -hmm. so it's first reformed it is probably in theater near you if not it probably will be soon so sandra what are you feeling this week so this week i'm feeling a documentary that came out in 2010 called The Parking Lot Movie. Have either of you seen this movie? No, I haven't even heard of it. I've seen the trailer for it, but I've never seen the movie. Okay, so I saw this movie back in 2010 at South by Southwest. Um, and it's been one of those little... At South by Southwest, you see a lot of tiny little movies that never get released in theaters, that people never really talk about, um, but you saw them because you saw them at a festival. <laughs> And then they really just kind of stick in your brain that way. Um, this, like I said, is a documentary. And it's very simple. It's about a parking lot and the parking lot attendants that work there. Um, because this was filmed back from, I think it was filmed between 2007 and 2010. 
Um, this was before every single parking lot that at least I see in my city had um, just built-in machines that you walked up to. And, and I guess there's a camera or something that keeps in mind making sure right. people pay. At this time, um, this is just a parking lot where people drive in, get a ticket, and then on their way out, they show their ticket to the parking lot attendant and pay for their time spent in the parking lot. And it's really, it's a very small and simple movie, but it's, I think it's really funny and fascinating. Um, the people that, it's set in Charleston, um, which is something that I forgot about this movie. And that's a really interesting thing to revisit. No, ha- at, in this year, um, knowing what we know about like what's happened in Charleston in the past few years, and um, what this movie doesn't really deal with race that much, but um, it does deal with kind of like a class warfare, and seeing our parking lot attendants have such disdain for um, the fraternities and sororities that kind of cause trouble in the parking lot and are incredibly disrespective or disrespectful, excuse me. Um, it really puts you, puts in perspective the images that we've seen from Charleston. And, um, it it was something I couldn't get out of my head the whole time I was watching it. Um, but the movie is much more just about a group of like kind of outsiders. They're all, um, overeducated, um, professors or grad students that have time on their hands to work in a parking lot. And it's so interesting um, when you have that kind of time on your hands, what you become passionate about and what how you spend your time thinking the day away if you're just sitting in a parking lot. It kind of explores that exam, um, like what kind of person would be drawn to that job. It also kind of explores our nation's car culture, um, how we are obsessed with our cars, the change in cars and how they've gone from kind of small vehicles to like these large SUVs that nobody actually needs. Um, It explores um, the way how people feel like this ownership of the world just because they also own a car, how they feel like they should be able to park it any that they want, and and why should they have to pay for this parking? and it's really funny. Um, this movie was directed by Megan Ekman. And I don't know this for sure, but I think I remember from South by Southwest finding out that this is a movie that she made kind of while she was in college. Um, it definitely is like not, I wouldn't say an expertly made documentary in that it's mostly just one-on-one interviews, some time spent in the parking lot, some very basic graphic design headers that kind of show up a lot but it also is so surprising that like a college student found a story that was so interesting to me um just like in her college town is what I'm imagining and decided to make a feature film about them and it really turned out well um I I think this movie is really cool I think if you're looking for something really unique to watch this is the perfect thing to watch it's on Amazon Prime right now Um, and it's one of those things where like, if you don't like it, you can just stop watching it because it's not very (laughs) plot driven, you know, it's more just about like examining Mm -hmm. this very small counterculture. And it's also a fun flashback to 2010. So, um, (laughs) I really recommend it. That's awesome. It sounds great. Yeah. I do like those documentaries that are like just a small slice of like American life or something like that. Yeah. Like just gives you just a kind of a quick look at, at a section of America that you don't think about or don't really pay attention to. So that's cool. Yeah. Also living in Chicago, as Lucas knows now, there's never any parking anywhere. And so the idea of having a big, wide open lot that you could park in, <laughs> even paid, is just like a dream. That yeah. It's almost like a fantasy that only exists in the movie. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, well, what I am feeling this week is... <laughs> The brand new movie from 1996 or 1966, um, How to Steal a Million, starring Audrey Hepburn and Peter O'Toole. Have either of you guys seen this movie? No. I have not. Okay. This movie is amazing. It is in the genre that I would call heist rom-com, which is <laughs> the smallest genre, but probably right up your alley, Sandra. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is directed by William uh, Wyler, who directed 
um, Roman Holiday, if you've seen that. Um, this is one of his follow-ups to that. This movie is incredible. Uh, this The plot is basically Audrey Hepburn is the daughter of a long line of forgers who um, in Paris who teams up with a thief, played by Pierre O'Toole, um, to steal one of her father's pieces from a museum. Um, and it is basically just a two-hour just them conversation between these two characters just in and around Paris in museums, um, them walking through parks, just talking about, you know, why she wants to pull off this heist, you know, what's in it for, what's in it for her, what's in it for him. Um, and then the actual heist itself. And it is beautiful. It is all about Paris. It's all about art and just them having conversations about, you know, Van Gogh and, you know, just uh, statues and stuff like that. It is an excellent, excellent movie. And, of course, it's a rom-com, too. So it's very, very funny as well. Um, Peter O'Toole is hilarious. Audrey Hepburn is magnificent. Um, I don't know why I hadn't watched this movie before, but I do think everyone should watch it. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I'm just, I'm so impressed by this movie. <laughs> yeah, I will really need to go see this soon now. I yeah. keep thinking to myself, I haven't seen enough Audrey Hepburn movies. It's one of those things where it's like, she's obviously like so talented and I've only seen like Breakfast at Tiffany's. So why, like, mm. and why is that, you know? Yeah. So one day I need to like have a marathon and I need to make sure to include this. Yeah. This is at the top of my list of Audrey Hepburn movies for sure. Remember so. when they thought a million dollars was a grand sum of money? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd steal a million for sure. <laughs> I pay dues. Watch what they do. Just watch hey do. Some say hey you. Okay. Um, real quick, before we get into talking about Solo, I have a quick list of things that I want to run down just to see if you guys are interested in them or not. Um, there's just so much stuff coming out, um, so much news, all of that stuff. I just wanted to get your quick opinions Rapid on fire. Rapid fire. Rapid, very, very, very rapid fire. Um, so first off, the Transformers series is branching off to do a Bumblebee movie, um, are you guys into the Transformers movies still? Are you interested in this spinoff of a Bumblebee movie on its own? It seems to be, you know, a not Michael Bay directed piece. <laughs> no, I think I only saw the first Transformers movie. Didn't see any of the others. I saw, yeah, I have no interest in this. I saw the first two and then I think, was it the second or third one that was like filmed mostly in Chicago? And I saw that for that reason. And yeah, <laughs> I, I never need to see another Transformer movie. Yeah, um, I think I've watched the first two and that is it and up and out. So, okay, we're all out on the Bubble Bee movie. Ow. Secondly, Reese Witherspoon is in talks to come back for Legally Blonde 3. Is this anything anybody's interested in? Super in. Eh, I don't even I don't know if I ever saw Legally Blonde 2. I love the original, um, but I sort of love it like as a period piece at this point. <laughs> so maybe if they do, if as long as they don't do like a, this is set in 2018, like if they made this a period piece, I would be all about it. Legally Blonde 2 is very dumb, but it does star Sally Field as a senator. And for that reason alone, you should check it out. Yeah, okay. I've never seen any of the Legally Blonde movies, so I probably need to rectify that. <laughs> you, Lucas, Legally Blonde 1 is really great. Great. Okay. Agreed. Okay. Um, next, the Widows trailer, which is my most anticipated movie of the year, came out. Has everybody watched that trailer? Yes. No, what is the Widows? Oh, my gosh. Widows, Widows, Widows. Um, it's directed by... Seeing um, the name more doesn't help me understand. <laughs> widows, 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 Brent. <laughs> widows is stars um, Viola Davis, Elizabeth Debicki, Colin Farrell, Liam Neeson, Carrie Coon, John Barenthal, Daniel Kaluuya. I'm in. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, I'm Robert saying, Duvall. In that trailer, Daniel Kaluuya looks good. He looks oh, man. real good. Him and, Bri and Brian Tyree Henry are amazing in that trailer, and they look like the best duo you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, this is directed by Steve McQueen, who did 12 Years a Slave, um, Shame, Hunger, those movies. Um, he is, this is adapted from a British TV show, which is always my jam. So everything about this movie seems amazing, and I cannot wait for it to come out. Rockin'. So um, just so clearly, Lucas, that Jillian Flynn is writing this screenplay, but it's oh, not an original yes. story of hers. It's 
It's no, this is complete. Yeah, she's writing the screenplay based off of the British TV show. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it's going to be dope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in. Yes. Everybody's in. Awesome. Brent, I highly suggest you watch that trailer. Yeah, cannot wait. ASAP. Um, I want to play cool. this game, Lucas. Can I read some? Yes, jump in. Okay, I have a list of movies that I want to see this summer. Um, okay. And so I can, I'm just going to go down this list, and I want to hear in or out. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Um, so some of them are, are, are currently out in theaters. Um, I'll start okay. with that. Yeah. Um, RBG, in or out? Uh, I'm in. I'm like... I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll, if I get around to it, I'll see it. It's not one that I'm, like, rushing to the theater to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely stream it at some point. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of biopics about people that are alive. Well, it's a documentary. So, or that's, sorry, that's what I meant. Documentaries about people that are currently alive. Gotcha. Um, so, we'll see. Okay. Disobedience. Uh, definitely in, eventually. <laughs> ah, there's so little I know about the world. <laughs> I'm generally opposed to disobedience unless it's disobedience <laughs> no, to an unjust ruler. No, I think ruler. you're going to want to see disobedience. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely going to want to see disobedience. Okay. It's uh, Rachel Vice, Rachel McAdams, and and Rachel McAdams, Rachel Vice and Rachel McAdams, Ooh. and it's okay. like a love story, but it's like forbidden a lesbian and because Jewish... it's like a Jew, uh, an Orthodox Jewish sect. Yeah, it's really Ooh, good. Yeah, okay. And I think it's not based in the United States either. Yeah. yeah. Um, how to talk to girls at parties? Out, so out. That movie is not up my alley at all. I'm trying to think if I have a good history with how-to movies. Um, <laughs> I liked How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> um, how to Survive a Plague was really powerful. <laughs> that's all that's coming to mind. Yeah. Um, tag. Uh, no, out. That strikes me as like a really fun tweet that I don't need to see as a full movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm interested in the banter between the actors as a whole. Um, as a plot, I'm not interested in that movie at all <laughs> okay under the silver lake ah uh, that one i don't i'm i don't like fake noir movies um <laughs> and that seems to be what this one is so i'm probably out okay mama mia here we go again nope i had a dream i was watching that movie i've still not seen the original i do like abba i think i would enjoy these films but now it just feels like it's too late although i did just see that mama mia is on netflix okay well, i go. recently watched mama mia again and i cried throughout a lot of it it's fun. It's really, they, really fun. They used up all the Ab- ABBA songs. Like, there's no more. Oh, for because them to like use. I because you don't want to hear ABBA again. Uh, we're gonna do them again. <laughs> the same songs. Yeah, Lucas. It's ABBA. Oh, jeez. Um. Okay. Sorry to bother you. What are all these movies? <laughs> this Brent, is these are movies. Army Hammer and um. Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, yeah. I love Lakeith Stanfield. And Tessa Thompson. Yes, that's right. Uh. I am very interested in this movie. I don't know if it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm interested. Oh, this looks amazing. <laughs> um, Hot Summer Nights. Mm. Baby Boy Chalamet is back. Yeah. White Kid Becomes a Drug Dealer Because He's Bored sounds not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mission Impossible. Oh, so in. Always. Henry, Henry Always Cavill. Time for that. Yes. Henry Cavill, man. Henry reloading those, Cavill. those biceps. Yes. Okay. Um. Have y'all seen the trailer for The Darkest Minds? No, I have not. Go look up this trailer. I'm very in on this trailer. Um, It's like a teen, you know, post-apocalyptic kind of like superhero movie. Um, But it looks really good. It's like, it feels very X-Men to me, which is why I'm so drawn toward it. Um, So I'm I'm excited about this one. Christopher Robin. Nah. I'm good. Brent? Yeah, I think I'll see it. I love you and McGregor. And last year, my family went to Disney World. This is a way longer than just saying in. My family went to <laughs> Disney World, and I rewatched all of the Disney original animated films, including both of the Winnie the Pooh movies. And they are just delightful from start to finish. So I'll see it. Okay. Okay, <laughs> last one. Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm in. Great. All the way. Well, this has been Rapid Fire In or Out. <laughs> oh, I love this game. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do that more. Awesome. All right, let's uh, let's start talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, an anthology movie in the Star Wars universe. That's the full title <laughs> yeah. for it. I'm going to use that. A Ron Howard <laughs> slash Lord and Miller story. Yeah. A Kathleen Kennedy production. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Star Wars, go. Playing a trumpet solo to the theme song from Star Wars is Stacy Hedger, Miss Douglas. 
this is the fourth movie in a row that we've gotten from Star Wars. We've been getting one a year. In the last, what, like six months? In the last, <laughs> this is the 18th Star Wars thing that we've heard about in the last six months. I never thought Star Wars would, fatigue would be an actual problem. <laughs> and I didn't think it would come so quickly. I yeah. think having it be six months after the last Star Wars movie is a, an issue. Um, I think... It, this is something that you have to build up to. I'm like Marvel does it. We get a Marvel movie like every like four months now. Yeah. Um, but and it's just a thing that happens. But I think Star Wars is still so new to being you know a thing again that us getting it so quick starts to feel like we're I don't know just being I think just it's, drenched in it. <laughs> I think it's hard because it's recent, but it's also following probably my favorite entry into the Star Wars universe. So to follow. Mm-hmm. Such That's a true. high, I think, is also mm-hmm. really tricky. I think the other thing is that they that they're going back and forth. So they're doing one movie and then they're doing a prequel. Yeah. And then they're doing a sequel to the first movie and then a prequel. Yeah. And then a follow-up. And so it just it being out of order, I think you lose the momentum a little bit. Um and so you give people a chance to kind of back out whenever they want. Well, um, in this film, I think it like <clears throat> I don't think it does a great job of situating itself time-wise in terms of exactly where we are in the like Star Wars chronology. Um, right. And so for me, that was a little disoriented watching like, okay, what has happened? Um, obviously, this is like before A New Hope, but where are we falling with Rogue One and how far from the prequels are we? And that, Yeah, so it was a little disorienting. Yeah, yeah. And I think every other Star Wars movie has had to kind of put itself in a time period and be very clear as to when it was. Um, and this one really doesn't have to. Um, let's, let's, let's just talk about overall thoughts. So overall, how did you feel about this movie? When I was watching this movie, I was having a really fun time. Big smile on my face. I was like, this is fun. I'm having fun. And then when I left the movie, I couldn't quite remember what was fun about it. <laughs> um, I remembered a lot of the plot and the plot seemed a little like messy and all over the place. Um, so do I think that this is a good movie? No, but I cannot deny the fun that I had w- while watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes yeah. that's all movies need to be. Yeah, totally. I, I had a lot of fun while watching it. I think this is a fun movie. I think, I don't think it's an essential movie, which I don't think that's what Star Wars wants. I think they want all of their movies to be essential, but like I had a lot of fun in this movie and I think well, here's what I'll say. I like this movie more than it's going to sound like I do. I feel like most of the things I want to talk about are the little things that I'm frustrated with and it would and would have been easy to make better about this movie, but it was so much fun and there are so many things that I think are truly great about this movie. Um, like I think Ron Howard is, is a great director. I think he um, is not a flashy director, um, but I think he does a really good job with kind of bringing a movie together. Um, I think Bradford Young is an excellent cinematographer. I did have some qualms with um, like the lighting in this movie, um, but overall I think he does a great job of giving you like actual places based on like coloring and lighting and stuff like that. Um, which I think a lot of the Star Wars movies haven't done before. So I think I'm on the same page. Yeah. I had a blast when I was watching it. Um, this has, uh, a few action set pieces that feel new and distinct in the Mm -hmm. Star Wars universe, um, in a way that was really invigorating for me. There's a few images that are really striking and memorable. Um, particularly one of like a giant space monster that's shot in a way that's very different from anything we've seen in Star Wars before. Um, But yeah, almost like both of you described, the fun was sort of tempered for me by the fact that this is a Star Wars movie, which means the stakes feel a lot higher to me uh, because um, I, yeah, I grew up loving the original trilogy. Um, I was like, I geeked out very hard for all of the prequels. And, I mean, obviously we grew up the same time and was seeing them at a young age. So when I come to a Star Wars movie, it's always a, a huge event for me. Um, so I I can't separate it from kind of that bigger context in canon. And I don't think that um, the people making Star Wars films want us to. So to have an entry in the film where I can just leave... The way I described it was like when I, la- when I left Last Jedi... Um, a few of us went and got dinner and we talked about it for almost two hours, just piecing out every single detail and what does this mean and where are they going to go and how does this reflect what's happened? And I left solo and I like sent a few texts to my brother and that was about all I had to say. And I was so disappointed that I had just seen a Star Wars movie, like a, a movie in the Star Wars canon. And I just didn't have a lot to say about it. And that was kind of what was most disappointing to me and more disappointing than anything else. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think one of the the things that uh, that hurt a prequel is you have because you, usually you're doing a prequel on a character that everybody likes and they like the character as that character is and to do a prequel usually what you have to do is change that character and you have to grow the character to get to the point where they are in the you know movie original where you movie. Like them. Exactly. So even I mean as many problems as there are with the original trilogy, you meet Darth Vader as this child, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go through this trilogy figuring out how this child becomes Darth Vader. And I think that's that's a very good thing to do with a prequel, is have the character be so different that you're like, okay, the interesting thing about this is trying to figure out how he gets to be who he is. Um, a lot of prequels, you just end up with the exact same character and there is no character arc for that whole prequel because they have to be the same character the, the whole way through. That's how I felt about this. I don't want to go into spoilers about like what happens in, in this movie or anything like that, but when you meet Han Solo, he is the Han Solo that that you meet in A New Hope. And he's very, you know, witty and precocious and, you know, very whatever. But And so you don't, like, he becomes the least interesting character in this movie because um, he just has nowhere to go in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In spoilers, we can talk more about the direction I wish they would have taken with this character and, like... Yeah. And, and versus what we got. But, yeah, I agree. We did get someone doing a Han Solo impression. Now, I want to say I'm fully on board for the performance of Han Solo. Oh, yeah. Yes, um, I yeah. think Alden Ehrenreich is pretty great. I think he did the best he could in the situation. You know, if you're going to be filling the roles of Harrison Ford, I don't, I, I don't know what else you could have done. I think, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but it does sort of feel like, um, I think my issue with, much more pro- my problem with a film like Solo rather than Rogue One, which was a movie I really enjoyed um, mm-hmm. and it felt very new. Um, my issue with a film like Solo is it sort of feels like the film's creators, rather than saying okay, what do we know about Han Solo in terms of who he is and his personality and what motivates him and drives him? Rather than asking that, they asked, okay, so what do we know about Han Solo based on Star Wars trivia? Yeah. And what are all the details of his life that have been outlined and how can we check all those boxes? Um, And it's disappointing to see them take that approach because I think there are sort of some fundamental ways they misunderstand the character of Han Solo and what motivates him. Absolutely. Uh, And again, we'll talk about this in kind of spoiler territory, but it's like like they said, okay, if we've got a Han Solo movie, we've got to have a Kessel run. We've got to have a meeting Chewbacca. We've got to win the Millennium Falcon. And it sort of feels like this movie was just already written for them in a way that there are very few surprises. And yeah. again, I think within that structure, they make it sort of best case scenario because all of those moments are a lot of fun. Yeah. But it just feels like they were more concerned with how do we how do we remind everybody of what they already know about Han Solo rather than trying to say, is there anything new or interesting we can do with this character? Well, I think that directly contributes to all of our reactions of that. Like, we had fun while watching it, but then afterwards... You know, nothing really stuck with us because all those references. Yeah, I had a big smile on my face when those references happened. You know, like, oh, I know that. And oh, that's how they introduced that. Um, But that only lasts for a few seconds. You know, that's not something Mm -hmm. that sticks with you. Yeah. Well, and I think when the film is maybe at its most interesting is when it... um, it plays with your expectations of who Han Solo is, but also with your expectations of the Star Wars universe and kind of how things happen. There's one sequence in the film in particular, and I won't spoil it, but it sort of sets it up as like, oh, Han Solo is going into a dangerous situation. It's a situation we've seen probably two or three times in Star Wars films, and as it starts, you're kind of like, oh, man, are they really doing this again? Like, are we really going to hit the same beat? And it suddenly turns and is completely different from what you expected and the way that they sort of played with your expectations of of what a Star Wars movie is I think that's it's fun and it's surprising and it's when they just yeah when they feel like they have to hit those same beats that's when it's kind of at its worst I think yeah and I think like this is where I bring it back to the Hobbit films is you have all of these references that like are really things that people aren't interested in necessarily answering. They're interested in seeing. So, like, where did Han get his gun? Um, Where did, you know, how did he meet Chewie? Like, tell me more about the Kessel Run. Like, things like that um, are things that it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, those those aren't questions that were asked by anybody, um, and they are cool, but they don't necessarily make a very interesting movie. I think in the 
one of the big issues with the the Hobbit movies is you start throwing in all of these references to Lord of the Rings. People just have to like bring up stuff that is about the Lord of the Rings movies. And it's like, that's not, that's not what this story is about. It doesn't, you know, help or improve this story. It's literally there just to be a reference. And I feel like we got a lot of that in Solo. I will say, I do think that I sort of admire how restrained they were. Um, I feel like this is the kind of movie where you could have been seeing like the toddler versions of lots of other characters. I wouldn't have been surprised if they had gone that direction. (laughs) Um, And so even though you do see, I mean, every character who's in the movie feels like they're in the movie because they are connected to Han Solo. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this is like the the first Star Wars film that doesn't include C three PO and R two D two, and it's because there's just absolutely no reason they should have been in this film. Yeah, like there would, I mean, it logis- logistically wouldn't make sense. So I do admire the fact that they were willing to keep it very contained to Han's story. And the the one surprising cameo that you get is so surprising that um, it really like that it really makes the movie not is, make sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really throws it out the window. Um, do we want to talk about performances real quick before we get into? Oh, and I yeah. Just wanna, I do want to hear just yes. kind of what worked for you all because I think true. we did all have a good time. So yeah, talk about performances and talk about what really worked for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just say I'm like I said earlier. I think Alden Iron and Iron Annenreich. I didn't say that right, <laughs> but we know who we're talking about. Um, I've been a fan of his for a little bit. With the tour so simple. <laughs> um, There was a lot of reports going into this movie that he was, like, the problem of the movie. And so um, I was very nervous going into this, and I thought he did a great job. I think he's charming. I think he's talented. I think those are impossible shoes to fill, like I said earlier. And Mm -hmm. as far as filling them goes, I'm okay with that performance. Um, The performance that I am okay with, but that I think is kind of crazy is uh, Paul Bettany's performance in this movie. Oh, I love his performance in this movie. <laughs> it's my favorite. I, He's definitely at the top of my list. <laughs> I enjoyed it because I really, really love Paul Bettany. But uh-huh. I'm going to recommend that if you're interested in hearing people talk about Solo, um, if you check out the Watch podcast, they do a very funny impression of what Paul Bettany is doing in this movie um, that I can't get out of my head now. Just kind of how... He's bringing kind of that English Shakespearean, um, like, acting chops to this movie in a way that almost no one else is. And it, it's funny to, yeah. see, to, to notice that now. I think it makes it so good. I feel like it's the same thing that happened in A New Hope when you have, oh, what's his name? Who played Obi-Wan Kenobi? Alec, uh, Alec, Alec Guinness. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you, when you have Alec Guinness, who's, who is this very <laughs> English actor, yeah, acting against Mark Hamill, who is just this crazy space kid, and you have um, Alec Guinness doing these lines that are just ridiculous, but he's doing them in the most, you know, British Shakespearean way. And I feel like Paul Bettany's really doing that here. He's got some crazy lines to give and a lot of exposition. And I think he does it amazingly well, and you're so interested in him, and he seems like a genuinely a genuine character he doesn't seem to me like he's just paul bettany in off the street to do this um this quick performance in one room um <laughs> he had a break during avengers and he was like oh, exactly I've got, yeah i've got 30 minutes yeah <laughs> let me do a star war i agree although do you all you're all are you all aware of who originally played that character before the howard reboot yes so michael k williams was supposed to be yeah, this, and he man, was supposed to be he was movie. supposed to be a lion man a completely cg lion person which would have really changed this character yeah. a lot yeah. um and because of yeah because of the reshoots michael k williams couldn't come back to because his scenes were done and filmed and in the bag and they had to reshoot it with paul bettany so i want michael k williams in a star wars movie but not as a lion man Same. yeah i think the performances are great there's a uh, one of the things that the star wars universe seems just to not like they have never run out of ideas is they keep introducing uh, very fun and distinct droids. Uh, this movie has a really fun and distinct droid, mm-hmm. um, L337. Um, and it's like the closest that the Star Wars universe has tried to get to conversations about like wokeness and privilege and all of those kind of things. Uh, but it's like it all plays out in a very funny way. There's one scene that's genuinely moving that takes place on essentially a slave planet. Um, and it's kind of like L3's shining moment. Um, so I think she's great. Um, 
I I think I'm in the I know I'm in the minority here. I love Donald Glover and support anything he does. I it took me a long time to come around to his Lando in this film, um, but I do think he puts a really distinct spin on Lando, making him um, like more even more comical than Billy Dee Williams was. Yeah, um, and making him. Um, it's clear he's like a little more of a almost more of like a grifter or just someone who's kind of moving from opportunity to opportunity. And it's clear that Donald Glover is having a blast with the performance. To me, he seems very much like a Lord and Miller Lando and not like a Ron Howard Lando. Like yes. a lot of his scenes, I'm like, oh, this would have fit perfectly in a Lord and Miller movie. <laughs> and not that they don't work here at all. They they're I think they're great and they're hilarious, but you can definitely tell like this is something that um, he got a lot of notes from Lord and Miller and everybody else seems to be working more in a Ron Howard movie. Yes. Um, I also just want to bring up that Woody Harrelson is Woody Harrelson and always great. He like yep. in this movie of a lot of younger actors, you know, who are mm-hmm. obviously very talented and, and successful. He, this is someone who's been doing this for so long and like everything just comes so natural to him in, in these performances. So like I particularly enjoy just seeing Woody Harrelson do his thing. Yep. Yeah. I feel like he's very much himself in all of his movies Yeah, and it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. Okay. I really want <laughs> to right. talk spoilers. I know I do too. All right, let's do this. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay, well, what I will say, that after seeing this movie, um, you know, like, you think to yourself, what would I have preferred? If this isn't up to my quality of, you know, what I want <laughs> from a Star Wars movie, what would I have, what would I have wanted? Um, and I keep coming back to the idea that what I really wanted was more of a Pirates of the Caribbean movie set in a Star Wars universe. Um, Ooh, go on. I just, yep. I really... That sounds correct. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, when I think of Han Solo and these adventures that he had before A New Hope, I think of him less as a cowboy and more as a pirate, you know? I And yes. working with other pirates where... You work together, but you're not really a team, you know, because you're all pirates and it's kind of everyone looks out for themselves. And that was a theme that I think they tried to imbue in this movie, but I never really bought it. You know, the idea that people are really only looking out for themselves in this movie. And um, I really wish it had a little bit more of that cheeky... um, like betrayal throughout the whole, like people are constantly betraying Mm -hmm. each other. People steal things all the time, you know, like more of the reckless lawlessness that like a pirate movie would have. um, Yeah. I think would have been really fun. And this movie did not have that. I think they were playing it Mm -hmm. a little safe. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can make Han Solo a cowboy because he's, he's not the, the whole thing with the cowboy is he's supposed to be, you know, the world has moved on and left the cowboy in his spot, and that is the basis of a Western. And that's not Han Solo at all. The world is exactly where Han Solo wants it to be. Like, (laughs) he's living in it. And he might want different things than everybody else, but that's not the world of a Western. Like, this, I think you're 100% right. Like, a pirate is exactly the kind of movie that this should have been. Um, And, like, we have the heists. Like, all of these things are very much, like, pirate things that could have happened in this movie. Um, We have the cruise. We have, like, betrayal that that should should have. Yeah, we have the ship. Exactly. Yeah, all of this, I think, fits exactly what you're talking about. Um, Oh, go for it, Brent. Well, yeah, Sandra, you talk about uh, watching this and kind of wondering, like, what's the movie that I would have rather seen if I if this was not it? Um, and I just keep saying I wish that they would make these Star Wars stories just much weirder and stranger and more distinct. Totally. Um, like, uh, I know with Rogue One, what a lot of people mentioned is, like, this is the Star Wars universe if you take the Force out of it. Uh, which just like fundamentally changes the Star Wars universe um, and makes it a a little more gritty and a little more realistic. Um, And what you end up having is just stories that are like not really Star Wars stories that are set with 
like Star Wars costumes and Star Wars music. Uh, and if they want to make those, that's like totally fine. But yeah, I just say make them so much weirder. Um, I loved having, I mean, there are a few weird elements in this film. The main one being that like Lando is like absolutely in love with the droid. And that's something we've not seen in Star Wars before. And it's a really interesting dynamic and like, it's funny and it's surprising and it sort of challenges our expectations. And I just want to see a lot more of that. And yeah, I mentioned before that, um, I think this film sort of misunderstands Han Solo and what motivates him. And in particular, um, it sort of introduces him as someone who cares a lot and in particular cares about this woman whom he's in love with um, and is really motivated by this desire to um, to rescue her and find her and eventually be reunited with her. Um, and I, I think... There's a way that you can like read the ending as okay, he's so supremely burned by her that he becomes the, the sort of disaffected, lovable jackass that he is in the original trilogies. But I think that is like such an intense pivot away from the Han Solo that we get in this film that to me it doesn't. I don't read Han in the original trilogy as just being sort of burned. I read him as someone who has from day one always been sort of too cool for the things that are going on around him. And I think the Han in this in this film seems like to be sort of excited and enthusiastic about everything that's going around going yeah. on around him. And that's why I say like, yeah, I wish they had thought a lot more about, okay, what, what makes Han Solo into the like supremely disaffected, mm-hmm. um, like uninterested person that he is. And yeah. I don't think that that's what we're seeing here. Especially once you get into this, like in this movie near the end, you, they start talking about like the resistance and the rebellion and stuff like that. And once you bring that into it, it starts to get super weird because we know Han doesn't join the rebellion until a new hope. And he's very uninterested in the rebellion in a new hope. And so for, for that to even be part of this story feels very weird for him to have encountered these people and been like you know hey you know i'm gonna help them kind of a thing yeah and and we've already made a great personal sacrifice exactly yeah it's really weird yeah i mean i would one critic i was listening to basically explained that like the whole thing of a new hope is that he finally like shows that he is the good guy all along like he doesn't believe himself to be but he is and right yeah we got that again in this movie (laughs) like it's like no it, it happens later you don't need it to happen twice yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like once you bring the resistance into it, he, that has to be it. Right. Otherwise, Otherwise you hate he him. just is a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sandra, you said you were smiling with all of the with a lot of the references that popped up, maybe sort of like almost in spite of yourself. I will say the one big reference that got an actual groan in our theater was um, I think it, I think at some point they had mentioned the the Kessel Run, and you could tell everybody was like, "Oh boy, this is going to be a big thing." And at some point, one of the characters, maybe a droid or somebody, is like, "You can't complete the Kessel Run in less than twenty parsecs." And everybody in our theater just rolled their eyes, like, "Oh gosh, like Han's going to do it in twelve, we know." And that's the kind of reference where it's like you're not doing anything that's going to surprise us, and now it's just sort of a toil to wait and see. Okay, like here's how he's going to get. See, right. I will say that as someone who has watched most of the Star Wars movies um, and enjoys them, but is not like a super fan, I did not remember this like Kessel Run nonsense. So like that's not a <laughs> reference that like stood out to me. Um, and I honestly think that's the best way to view this movie is that as someone who like is not a super fan and isn't like aware of every single reference, you know, like I was Mm -hmm. smiling at like, that's Chewbacca, you know? (laughs) Um, So are you telling me that you haven't been kept up late at night about (laughs) the question of whether a parsec is a unit of time or a unit of distance? No, no, no. I've been made aware of that debate very recently. (laughs) Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I rolled my eyes at, um, was kind of the very end where, Han is like, I, let's go see this gangster on Tatooine, you know, and mm-hmm. and like yeah. so clearly we we already know where he's headed. Um, mm-hmm. That really leads me into a lot of issues I have with confusion about where this movie is on the timeline. <laughs> um, exactly. Because I I think what it's implied at the end is that he's going to meet Jabba the Hutt, but and then. I think he spends time working for Jabba, getting into some trouble and some adventures, and then he eventually meets Luke and Obi-Wan, right? Um, Correct. I guess my thing is, like, 
he still seems pretty young at the end, and I want the Han we meet in A New Hope to have a lot of adventures behind him. Adventures that we yeah. don't even know about. And this movie, yeah. I think, ends it in a way that it kind of limits the amount of adventures he could yeah. have had. There's a 10-year gap between this movie and A New Hope. So he has 10 years to do a bunch of adventures. Which, um, is, which isn't clear in this which movie. Which is fine, <laughs> except e- even if it's 10 years, which is a long time... We know that those 10 years, like, we know that the start of those 10 years starts with Jabba the Hutt, and that is a little disappointing to me. You know, like, he could be getting it up to lots of different things, but all of them are going to be somewhat related to Jabba the Hutt, apparently. Right. Yeah. He's going to have a 10-year relationship with Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. And we're we're tied to that now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, And so let's talk about the cameo. Ooh. I was right. psyched. I was so I had heard. I think I had seen on Twitter somebody saying um, something like, "There's a cameo that will totally catch you off guard unless you've been watching the Star Wars TV series, in which it might be less of a surprise to you." And so I had I had heard that, and then I forgot about it, and then I was watching the film, and there was a lot of buildup, and I sort of remembered like, "Oh wait, I think Darth Maul's going to be in this." So then you get to the part where Infy's nest. Infy's Nest is a character's name, right? The whole time I thought it was like the name of a the whole game. Yeah, of... I also thought it was a, the group, but yeah, it's All just right. her. She's in so Infy's Nest. She takes her mask off, and for a minute I wondered if that was going to be Darth Maul, which obviously it's not. It's way better. But then later when you have um, Kira um, speaking to a hologram and the camera pans over and you see that the legs are mechanical, I just started like slapping the arm of the friend <laughs> next to me because I was so excited that I knew it was going to be Darth Maul. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think that that um, it's disorienting and surprising, but it was, for me, it was in a fun way where um, I was suddenly wondering like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? And like, how did he survive? And is he going to show up in episode nine and all these things? Like it provoked a lot of the fun questions that I think a perfect cameo can. Uh, but it sounds like, I don't know if y'all had the same experience of it. I liked it. I haven't watched all of the animated Star Wars series, but I've kept up with kind of the plot as it relates to the, I guess, regular series whatever the the the, the movies um so anything so so i knew that darth maul survived um being chopped in half in episode one and that he had mechanical legs and kind of his arc in there um but i didn't know he was going to be in this movie and i was very shocked and i also was surprised because it made me it made me confused about now what they want to do with with him like him him being back and this is also the first time that we've had something where you like you truly don't know why he's there unless you know about the animated series that, and that hasn't happened before that was my <laughs> so. main issue so i don't know anything about the animated series also right. episode 1 is the only star wars movie i haven't seen um oh yeah so Spoiler alert. <laughs> i i yeah. knew who darth maul was i knew he died in episode 1 so when i saw this i was kind of like very confused about the timeline immediately was like, wait a minute, how old is Harrison Ford? Like, yes. And like, yes. is this happening during episode one? And like, and I think that's what a lot yeah. of people thought. I think a lot of people were just like, Oh wait, this is still an, around. Yeah. This is much older than I thought. Yeah. It was. So I think that is like a poor choice and that it's confusing that way. I didn't notice anything about his legs. So like that didn't stand out to me. Yeah. They didn't um, do a good job of like highlighting so, his mechanical yeah. legs. Like they're there if you see them, but it, well, there wasn't like a shot of them where you're like, look, he has mechanical legs. Like, yeah. So that didn't really work for me. However, I will say that while it didn't work for me, um, my mom is a high school librarian and every now and then at their school, they'll do, like, Star Wars Day, and everyone dresses up, and it's, like, people are really into it. And apparently, according to my mom, the school is just full of Darth Mauls because yeah. for these teenagers, <laughs> epi- the, like, the prequels are their Star Wars movies. Like, that's the ones that they saw in theaters and that they fell in love with at first. And so Darth Maul is like Vader to these teenagers. He's like the super cool villain. 
And honestly, I think you should see episode one because he is, I think he's better than Vader. Like he is the most terrifying. I mean, he's not, not like he's an interesting villain or anything, but he's like, he's terrifying. Like he is a lot like Vader in, and he's much better at fighting. So on their behalf, I am excited for this cameo, you know, like, Mm -hmm. cause I can imagine the teenage boy that dressed up at Darth Maul in high school and then watching solo and being like, ah, yeah. Well, and he's also just, He's sort of like one of the biggest missed opportunities in the Star Wars universe. I remember everybody at the end of episode one when they cut him in half. It's it was it's like shocking partially because like he's, he's just such a cool villain, but also partially because they were sort of coding him and setting him up as the Darth Maul of the prequel trilogies. The Darth so Vader. when they cut him in half, the assumption is like, oh, that must mean there's gonna be like a cooler, even like worse <laughs> villain they introduce, which then of course they're like, not nope, run. this is a political movie from so, now on. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember it, it, well, as I was watching um solo and I saw him, I started to wonder, oh, are they gonna bring him back in the background for episode nine and have him sort of bookend the series as like some sort of mastermind that's been behind all of this. Uh, just because obviously now there's sort of a, uh, a vacuum for some kind of villain leading into episode nine, unless they really want to go heavy on like, um, Ray and right. Um, and so another spoiler alert though, even though the, TV series reintroduced Darth Maul. They have also killed him off, so he is not around for yeah. episode nine. He won't be returning. He does die. I also think it's great that um, there are a lot of folks in the Star Wars universe who just want to forget that the prequels exist um, and sort of not consider them canon and think as if like everything that happens from like Rogue One on is really what matters in Star Wars. And even the, the present-day creators who might have certain regrets about the prequels I love the way that they're committed and sort of saying like, nope, this is all the story. These all these pieces fit, and introducing Darth Maul into this film is is sort of a way of like stitching those two universes together, mm-hmm. and saying like, no, this character is definitely part of this universe, and seeing him in the context of like the the Empire and the stormtroopers and Darth Vader was just a cool kind of like, yeah, it, it sort of tied the whole universe together. As long as no one mentions midi chlorians again, I'm fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, okay, the last thing I do want to talk about are the women in this movie. <laughs> um, I was promised Dandy Newton would be in this movie. Yeah. I, I was. And I was absolutely terrified and shocked that she got exploded like five minutes into this thing. Not only and that, it like, doesn't she got matter. exploded, but like she self-exploded, you know? like Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And isn't brought up again the entire movie. She's Woody Harrelson's wife in this movie and he barely mourns. Like it's not even it's not even fridging. Like it's not like to motivate him at, like it doesn't matter. It's he's like more sad about not getting to learn to play whatever it was he yes. to learn yeah. to play. Yes. What's crazy <laughs> to me again is that she did it herself. Like she didn't sacrifice herself for like a grand cause or like sacrifice herself to like save someone else. She like sacrificed herself so that they could finish the job, which yeah. is crazy. Super weird. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember because this is one of those movies where the interesting twist to me is the Enthe's Nest twist. The less interesting one is when it's like, is Woody Harrelson good or is he bad or is he good? And it just sort of like asks you to reconsider the whole film. So it's interesting that Enfy's Nest is the like seeds of the rebellion. And if you watch the film in terms of everything they do is motivated by a desire to essentially stop the empire. Um, but am I correct that um, like Beckett and Val, um, they don't know that, right? No, they don't know so that. So there's a way where if you understood Val's sacrifice as, okay, I see that this rebellion is starting and it's so important that we get these, this energy source to empower that, then that would be helpful. But yeah, at that point she doesn't know it. She's still just motivated by a desire of like, we have to finish the job so that this crime Lord won't kill us. And yeah, I think it just, yeah, really underserves her as a character. And then they don't even get the job done. Han Mm -hmm. drops the load yeah, and it's not even brought up as if like, you know, like, cause I thought that was going to be a thing also is like him getting, or what is it? Woody Harrelson's character getting super pissed that like Han dropped the load when she sacrificed herself. But nope, doesn't matter. We're just going to move on and get a new job. Yeah, it's just a teachable <laughs> moment for Han. Yeah, super weird. Um, and then, okay, next, I guess, is L3. Um, her, one, the whole droid thing is weird. Like, I, I think it's an interesting thing to bring up of this, like, the droid slavery thing. But if you're going to bring it up, like, actually do something with it. Like, they really did nothing with that in this movie at all. Like, they didn't address 
it. It was just kind of a bit almost of, of her like going around like, w- you know, wanting droid equality and then freeing those droids at the end. But like it wasn't actually an emotional core or plot point in this movie. I agree and disagree. I feel like the the sequence on that planet. Does anybody know the name of the planet? There mm, are a no. lot of planets in the Kessel? universe at this point. Yeah, so the whole sequence where she starts freeing droids and they start freeing each other and that sort of leads, leads to this whole revolt, to me was the fun kind of like little short story that exists in the background of Star Wars movies where you know like there's going to be a lot more that happens there, but we're not concerned with that. We're concerned with Han and with these specific characters. So I didn't mind that. I thought it was kind of just a fun little like it played out in a very compact, tight way. Um, I agree though that it's like... If you want to start bringing up, I mean, The Last Jedi did a little of this where it starts to get into the, some of the injustices that are inherent in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, it doesn't really have time or space to really flesh out those ideas. So I kind of agree it's um, a bit of a like cowardly move to yeah. bring up issues like that and then not follow through. Um, but and, in and terms of like how it played out in that one extended bit, um, I, was, I thought it was really entertaining. See, I felt like it was mostly just played for jokes, like that her mm-hmm. extended bit. And if she had been at the level of like a C-3PO type character, where she's not really a main character, she's just kind of like around doing her own thing in the background, right. that would work better for me. But like for her to have that conversation with, with Kira on the Millennium Falcon, like that like ups her level of like we're supposed to care for her and like actually you know feel for her but they don't let us actually relate to her cause at all and so for her to do that and then also go out like that mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was like oh so that we're, we're just killing them all now we're just yep. <laughs> murdering all the characters that, that you want to care about I, I think i take in all of your critiques lucas, lucas but um i liked the characterization so much and the performance so much that I don't think I thought too hard about it. I think the performance is great. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is amazing and she might be my favorite droid. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she, even like the physicality of the character, like it's almost, it feels sort of like they've almost introduced a different body type into the droid yeah. physicality, which is something I just didn't know they could do or yeah. like would do. Um, but even just the way sort of her hips are situated and the way she walks, it yeah. like it felt like, yeah, it felt like a different body type. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the um, idea that like that body movement is informed by the attitude, you know, that like, yeah, that perhaps yeah. with a different attitude that that same droid would move differently, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very character driven. Yeah. Driven. <laughs> uh, cool. And then I guess last but not least, we have Kira. <laughs> Um, what is happening in this movie with her? She is, again, I like the performance. I like all the performances in this movie, but she is so boring. And I guess she doesn't get to do a lot. Like I wanted her to be able to, and like, I guess physically they try to make her do a lot uh, by knowing, I forget what they called it, whatever martial arts she knows. Um, but like emotionally, like she doesn't really connect with Han Solo all that much. And like, I feel like throughout the movie, you have this thought of like, oh, is she going to betray him is she gonna betray him she doesn't she doesn't betray him at all i don't know it just felt boring to me like everything about her just felt her story i guess felt pretty boring like her like the acting the costumes everything like that was fantastic i mean she does sort of betray him when by 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 not leaving oh yes at the at the very end at the very end yes 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 that yeah that is that is true but i think up like her betraying him to dryden voss i thought was going to happen the whole time yeah and I guess I'm glad it didn't, but it also kept her from actually doing anything during the whole movie, and she just has that betrayal at the end. Which also, we all saw coming, right? Like, when right. she's like, you leave, and I oh. will clean up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, that's yeah, a weird thing to say. The <laughs> wants us to know, too, that this is going to end badly for Han. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... I think that's all the spoilers I have. Again, I feel like we we qualmed a lot, but I I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked everybody in it. Um, I will definitely see it again. Okay, for that sure. was gonna be my question. Would you rewatch yep. Solo? I'll definitely rewatch Solo. It's yeah. not gonna be one that I like rewatch a lot, but I'll definitely see it again. And I would too, um, mostly because if for nothing else, I think there are some. A lot of it is those fun set pieces mm-hmm. and. Um, every Star Wars movie introduces sort of new, like, what would this world be like? And we've seen, like, sort of gang crime lord hangouts before, but the one that they create in this film, the sort of flying airship, I thought was uh, the yacht. really pretty. Yes, the yeah. yacht. <laughs> so, yeah, I would see it again. Yeah. I do have one more hypothetical question, if y'all have oh, time yeah. for it. Um, what is the 
what is the Star Wars origin story or side story that you want to see on screen? I mean, here's the thing. If I could control the creativity behind it and it doesn't feel like the rest of these movies, I would love like a a young Princess Leia movie. Um, I don't think Mm. that they should actually make one. Like, I don't think that that's a good idea to actually do. But like what I would like to see is um, like... A, mo- a Star Wars movie about, like, a young adopted princess, you know? And, like, it being, like, a palace movie and not an action-adventure film. Um, I think Star Wars only has done these action-adventure films, so, like, that... I, I don't trust them to take a new tone all of a sudden, but a space, like, royalty movie and what it's like to be an adopted princess I think is very interesting. Um, yeah. but I don't actually like trust them to make that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm on the same page of like, let's start doing some Star Wars movies that aren't action movies and like some character pieces and stuff like that. Um, my Star Wars pitch that I've been, you know, rooting for for a long time is let Denny Villeneuve do a Kenobi film where it's a 55 year old Ewan McGregor. Um, and it's just about how much it sucks getting old, knowing all your accomplishments are in your past. <laughs> nice. Uh, there was a joke on Twitter, the, handle is Lee Flower uh, that says, I would watch the hell out of a movie called Cloud City about Lando waking up from a night of drunken gambling to discover he owns a city now and has to cowboy up and run it. <laughs> uh, I would definitely watch that, especially if Donald Glover were yeah. still playing Lando. That sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> the film that I've always, that I've sort of dreamed about would be... Um, I want to see a film about um, Owen. Okay, I can never remember their names. Is it Owen and Baru? That's Luke's aunt. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to see a movie about them raising the young Luke um, (laughs) on Tatooine. And I would imagine it being very slow and um, very pensive. The film that that most comes to mind is Meek's Cutoff. Did you all see Meek's Cutoff a few years ago? Oh, no, no. But I, yeah. I know. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's essentially about a family trying to sort of survive on something like the Oregon Trail. Um, there's almost no dialogue. It's like a. It's shot in like a four-three um, aspect Ugh. ratio, so it's a very claustrophobic movie. So I want something like that where we're watching <laughs> Owen and Baru. They're trying to just survive just on Tatooine as farmers on a desert planet. Just come to terms with an adopted son yeah, that they have they to raise now. Yeah, they come to terms with an adopted son who maybe has some special powers uh, <laughs> that they don't really know how to control. Oh, man. It's like a Thelma slash what should we do about Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We have to talk about Luke. Yeah, we have to talk, yeah, we have to talk about Kevin. We have to talk about Luke. There we go. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, if you have... Anything to weigh in on with Solo or want to talk to us about this at all, you can find us on Twitter at feelingitpod or you can email us at feelingitpod at gmail.com. Uh, where can we find you guys individually? You can find all of my social media at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Uh, you can find me everywhere under the handle B-R-P-A-B-A. Super easy to figure out. Um, you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff, mostly talking about how I want them to stick with one director for the next Star Wars movie. <laughs> yes, please. Ugh. That is it from us, I guess. Bye. Bye-bye. We're out. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Move it along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 